Hello and welcome to The Rundown, a weekly podcast from Politics Home. I'm your host, Alan Tolhurst, and each week I'll be taking an in-depth look at the biggest political stories with fellow Politics Home reporters and special guests from across Westminster. It's been another wild week in Parliament, with the publication of the Fools to Grey report into Downing Street parties during lockdown, prompting a number of Tory MPs to call for Boris Johnson to resign. That was swiftly followed by a U-turn by Rishi Sunak on a windfall tax, as the Chancellor announced a huge new financial package to deal with the cost of living crisis. But the Prime Minister and his party are still struggling at the polls after a poor performance at this month's local elections. With two crucial by-elections in Wakefield and Tiverton and Honiton next month, the Tories are in danger of losing both, which could lead to further calls on Johnson to be replaced. To discuss all that and more, this week I'm delighted to say myself and Politics Home colleague Eleanor Langford are joined by the leader of the Liberal Democrats and former Cabinet Minister Sir Ed Davey. So starting with you, Ed, obviously we had the full Sue Gray report on Wednesday. What were your kind of first thoughts when you read through all kind of the, the, the full report and saw the, the pictures? And also what did you feel of the Prime Minister's response in the Commons as well? Well, I think the Sue Gray report confirmed what the British people knew that the Prime Minister had broken the law, that he and his team were breaking the law for many times during the lockdown, sadly, and that he had misled Parliament. That's the confirmation that I got from the report. In terms of the debate and the statement, what was interesting was the quite muted response from the Conservative backbenchers. And we saw a lot of Conservative MPs leaving very quickly. They were almost too embarrassed to, to listen to... The Prime Minister, with his you know, faux apologies and you know, his wriggling. They kind of ran out of Tory MPs, supportive Tory MPs, to stand up and say, let's move on pretty quickly, and it just became opposition MPs. The Tory MPs seem to me they're sort of no man's land, where they, they don't really want to be seen supporting the Prime Minister, because it's too embarrassing, because he, he's not a decent man, and they all know it. They know that it's not going down well with their lifelong Tories. We know lots of lifelong Tories just can't stand, stand Boris Johnson and how he behaves. But they're not sure about what to do to get rid of and replace him. Yeah. And so they're embarrassed and they want to be there, but they're, they're not prepared to do anything and to send a letter. I mean, with a few notable exceptions, and obviously yeah. Tobias Elwood was the big one on the day. I think the danger for Conservative MPs is if they don't make a decision, there looks like a, a, the party of government is completely indecisive and hasn't got a plan and doesn't know what it's doing. Uh, yeah. And that's extremely bad for the country. I mean, that's put the country first, right? And it, it's really bad when the party in government is like a rab- rabbits in headlights. Yeah. Uh, he obviously said he apologised and took full responsibility. He used the word humbled quite a lot, but a lot of people watching on thought that he didn't exactly look particularly humbled or particularly contrite. What were your kind of thoughts of sitting opposite watching him give that speech? He was only sorry he got caught. And you know, apparently at the 922 committee, I wasn't there, uh, but apparently the 922 committee, you know, he was joshing away. Yeah. So it was all funny. Yeah. Well, it's not funny. And I just think he's the sort of person who doesn't take his very important job as seriously as it should be taken. He doesn't bring that gravity of purpose. And he's a ex-Bullingdon boy, ex-Day Telegraph journalist. It's all about tomorrow's headlines. Yeah. Well, it's not. It's about planning a strategy for our country. We have got one of the biggest economic crises the country has faced for many years, some not of his making, some of his making. You know, when I go around and talking to, to constituents and local elections, people are really anxious about what's happening. Rising prices, obviously heating, petrol, diesel, food, and so on. They're worried, actually, businesses are worried about how they're going to grow because they can't find staff. 
the shortages of labour for businesses and the public sector. I've never known it like this. And he's trying to make out it's a good thing. It's actually not a good thing. Yeah. Because they can't grow. They can't. They can't move on. Mm. I think this is a, ought to really be worrying the government because he wants to be this sort of oh, everything's all okay. Don't worry, and we'll we'll, we'll get through. Um, and it's all cheery, really. Well, that's not the right attitude when there are these challenges of quite significant and unprecedented proportions. And pretending everything's okay. You know, it just doesn't wash. You talked about, um, you know, him caring more about the following day's headlines. Obviously, some might say sort of cynical timing. The day after the Sugre report came out, the Chancellor brought forward this big package of, well, it's not called a windfall tax. He's calling it something slightly different, but to all intents and purposes, it is a windfall tax. What did you make of that as a package? It is, it's a pretty substantial piece of financial aid, you know, which a lot of opposition parties have been calling for. What, what did you make of the Chancellor's statement and also the kind of the timing of it really as well? Well, let's take two parts of it. There's the windfall tax, which I come on to. You know, I first proposed the windfall tax in October last year. Right. <laughs> and as a former energy and climate change secretary, I know quite a bit about that sector. So let's come on to how you raise some of the money. It's really important. But let's deal with helping the people. Some of the things that were announced were in the right place. So we clearly needed, and we've been arguing, to help uh, disabled people, pensioners, people on low incomes. I don't think he has actually done enough. I mean, we're on the simplest way we've been arguing is to restore the 20 quid a week for people on universal credit. That's yeah. £1,000 a year. That would be an obvious thing. I'm surprised he didn't do more on warm home discount, which is, you know, money that comes straight off people's energy bills and is well targeted. I'd have thought they'd have done more. I'm not going to say they didn't do, do things, so they clearly did. One could question if they found the right mechanisms that are going to work effectively to get money to the right people. So still not convinced about that. I also think on the universal side, let's remember, this is a guy who's taking £20 billion in higher taxes this year. Yeah. That got almost no mention. Rishi Sunak is shoving up taxes like there's no tomorrow. And I know, but he's a, he's a low-tax chancellor, he keeps telling us. Uh, well, but what about the 15 tax rises and the NIs and the income tax and all the rest of it? So he, he looks like he's giving with one hand, but he's taking a load of money uh, with the other. Yeah. And he's giving you these promises of money while he's picking your pocket. That's why I have to say I'm a bit cynical about today. And that's why Liberal Democrats have, for several months now, been arguing for a big cut in VAT. Now, it is... It is a bigger measure, but it's a significantly bigger measure than the Chancellor announced. It costs £18 billion, one-off, 2.5% cut in VAT, delivers £600, cuts inflation, helps small businesses in the high street. It's a big measure. But I think it is affordable, and it's the sort of measure you need, because you know, while there is an issue on inflation, there's also an issue on recession. Some of the people who are going to be really hit by the downturn are the most vulnerable and their spending power needs to be enhanced. That's quite a large group of people now. I mean, one of the energy utilities is talking about 40% of people in fuel poverty. So there's targeting, but it's actually getting it to quite a lot more people, which is why Liberal Democrats favour a tax cut to offset some of the tax rises that Tories are bringing in. Yeah, and obviously they brought this in to try and kind of move away from the issues with, with Partygate, but obviously with a look ahead to the fact that they got to go back to the ballot box twice on June the 23rd in Wakefield and Tiverton and Honiton. How do you think that's going to impact the public mood around those two sort of vital by-elections? We'll see. I mean, I, I, I don't know yet. I don't think they've sorted out the problem fundamentally. 
So I'm not sure it's going to change the dial hugely. And people will notice they've been dragged kicking and screaming to do something. And the, the truth is, to, to finish the discussion of the package on the windfall tax, they are very late in that. And some of the measures aren't going to come through for quite some time. Yeah. And if they'd listened to opposition people who are putting forward constructively, you know, in a measured way, our package of putting up a windfall tax and giving a tax cut, that could already be helping people now and, and, and having an impact. And on the windfall tax specifically, I actually don't think he's raising anywhere near the amount of money. I know Labour only wanted two or three billion. Yeah. I had talked about over 10 billion, at least 10 billion. Right. Because when you looked at the profits of BP and Shell and others, I mean, it's huge. I mean, Italy, with a much smaller energy sector, much smaller, they had a windfall tax raising nearly 10 billion euros. Right. And we've got a much bigger sector with, you know, two of the world's leading oil and gas majors making huge amounts of profit at their own emission with a Mr. Looney from BP, I think it is, saying that a windfall tax wouldn't affect their investment yeah. program because those, those profits are not sort of because they've worked particularly hard for them those profits are a result of global forces and global pressures and the war in, in ukraine and all that kind of stuff it's not as though yeah. those are earned profits in that sense well they're also unexpected yeah totally unexpected so there's a cycl- cyclicality <laughs> uh, volatility yeah. in the profits of oil and gas companies it always has been as the price of oil and gas goes up and down and that's sort of baked into how they think about and all the scenarios they build. And, you know, they have huge amounts of people doing all this stuff for them. They could not have seen, could not have seen. I don't think they probably had any scenario which had this unprecedented rise in global gas prices and oil prices. I mean, it really is unprecedented. Yeah. Unprecedented. And they are making profits which no one would have expected. And a lot of these profits are coming from the oil and gas they take out of the countries. And natural resources and they do that on license so we have every reason to say when people are, can't heat their homes can't put afford to put petrol in the cars that we go back to them and say you know that license we gave you it's not a license to print money and go away yeah. you can make your profits to give decent returns to shareholders no one's saying that but come on help people who are really struggling and the, the way to do that is a windfall tax and i think the chances will be for that is a timid it's a light levy. It's not proper windfall tax. Mm. And so is that the sort of thing you're going to be pushing in somewhere like Tiverton or Honiton when you go out there campaigning? Which I'm well, sure funny, you will be doing. funny you mentioned Tiverton Honiton. I've already been once. Uh, right, okay. Uh, 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 and what's weekend. the mood been like down on the doorstep in, in Tiverton Honiton? It's just quite exciting, really. I've done some canvassing in Honiton and uh, Honiton, I should say, and some canvassing in Tiverton. They're quite different towns. Obviously, I've met our amazing candidate, Richard Ford. I've seen the team there. Without doubt, we're the challengers, right? I don't think anyone disputes that. Despite finishing third last time round. Yeah, but I mean, Ben Bradshaw, who's the Labour MP for Exeter, which is not that far away, says, you know, it's the Liberal Democrats the challengers. So, you know, if, if a la- the local Labour MP is saying that, I think that's good enough for me. Uh, and, uh, you know, we think that. The bookies think that. You know? yeah. So I think it's probably indisputed that it's going to be, it's a Lib Dem Conservative fight. However, there's a mountain to climb. It's a bigger majority than we face in North Shropshire. It's a different area, different issues. You know, we, we know we've got a fight on our hands. I mean, not least because the Conservatives, you know, almost didn't turn up in North Shropshire <laughs> and Cheshire Ramsham. And they sort of realised that actually people are turning away from them, switching to the Liberal Democrats. And given we had such a big win in Somerset and they didn't expect that, yeah. which is, you know, parts of that Somerset 
are adjacent to the, the East Devon constituency of Tiverton and Honiton, I, I think there's some momentum for us, and they've realised that. They're there and they're putting out their leaflets and um, in a way which they didn't do before. So there's going to be a real fight there. And, and how do you keep that? Because it does look like there's quite a bit of momentum at the moment behind the Liberal Democrats. How do you keep that going until the next election? Because we're a little way off. It's looking like it will now be 2024. How do you want to make sure that that doesn't die down uh, before well, I think, you next get to take on the Tories as large? I think we first of all got to make our case, both our criticism of the government, where we think they're not meeting the needs of people across our country. And, you know, we've been talking not just about cost of living, but about various crises in the NHS, ambulance delays, difficulty getting GP appointments, shortage of NHS dentists. You know, Daisy Cooper's been leading on that as our health spokesperson. We've been focusing on environmental issues. I mean, we've been running a campaign on sewage. The fact that the Conservative MPs have been voting to allow water companies who are making huge profits to pump disgusting raw sewage into our rivers and, and our seas. And we just think that's wrong. And we've been campaigning on that and people have been responding. to. So we've got to get the momentum through what we're saying, both our criticisms of the government and our distinctive alternative positions. And we're going to be doing a lot of that. And showing that you know if you vote for the Liberal Democrats, you're going to get a strong local champion to stand up for your community and, and make these sorts of priorities on, on the economy, on the health and on the environment. But of course, we need to win... By-elections, you know, and yeah. we need to win local elections. And, you know, that's what we did last year. We won two by-elections that no one thought we could could win. And I'll make a confession, I wasn't, I wasn't sure we could myself when we started out. But you know, we got on the doors and we found that lifelong tours were switching to us. So True Blue Buckinghamshire, Chester and Amersham we won, and, and North Shropshire tours have held for 200 years. So we've shown that we could win, and that's given us some momentum. I think that increased during the local elections where... We won twice as many seats as I was expecting and five times as many councils as I was expecting. So that, that was a real momentum there. We'll see what happens in Tifton and Honiton. It may, may, there'll be maybe another by-election. I mean, some people have suggested that uh, there may be another by-election in Sumpton and Froome in Somerset. Yeah, David Warburton, the Tory MP, is still currently suspended pending an investigation. And obviously there might be one in Leicester East, given the situation with the Labour MP, Claudia Webb, as well. But I think, you know, Lib Dems have quite often done well in by-elections and throwing lots of resources into by-elections, you know, doesn't always translate into general elections. And sometimes there's been criticism that you've taken sort of contradictory positions in individual constituencies rather than your national policies. You think that there's enough of a kind of a coherent, wider policy to do well at a kind of a countrywide election coming up? No, it's totally, totally coherent. There's no doubt about that. You know, our liberal values have been more consistent than any other political party in all aspects of, of policy that affect people's lives. So I'm really proud of our tradition, our values and our priorities. We just need to make sure that more people hear about them. I, we do have momentum with us. I think we can build on that. But we're not going to take people for granted. I mean, one of our major criticisms, what we keep hearing on the doorstep, is people feel the Conservatives have taken people for granted. And so we've got to go and win people's trust and, and win them over and let them hear about what we want to do for, their, for them, their family, their communities. Yeah, of course, that's work in progress. But we've been doing reformers in the party. The party's more up for these campaigns than it's been for a long time. Got a real sense of focus. We've been getting a great response. So, I mean, there are various areas where I think we can make progress. I talked off Chester Ramsham about the blue wall. And you know, big orange hammer out. Yeah, got a big orange hammer out. (laughs) And uh, great visual. If you look in counties like Hertfordshire, like Cambridgeshire, like 
Oxfordshire, like Surrey, like Sussex, places that we've had some presence, but people didn't really expect us to make gains from the Conservatives. We're going to make gains from the Conservatives. I'm increasingly confident that well, the target seats there and, and you know in my neck of the woods in southwest london you know, east and walton these are areas where we think we can make progress which in previous liberal democrat leaders haven't been able to say that and, and the issue is can we get back in some of our heartlands where we've gone backwards in recent years and the west country we were talking about east devon and we talk about somerset you know those are areas where we used to be you know really strong and i think we can be again and we've we've seen some results before we've referred to, which give me hope that we can we can open up a flank against the Conservatives there too. So let's not run before we can walk. But yeah, I, I think there's real chance that we can make progress. And fundamentally, just the political reality is, if you want to get rid of the Conservatives, if you want Boris Johnson out of number ten, there's a whole set of seats that if you want to do that, you've got to vote Liberal Democrat. There's no other party that's in the place to be able to shift the Tories out. And there's a quite a number of those seats. Yeah, one of the seats you, you mentioned there is Isha um, Walton, which is obviously Deputy Prime Minister Dominic Raab's seat, and you absolutely slashed his majority in the last election. I think it went from about 25,000 down to 4,000. Are you looking to unseat the Deputy Prime Minister at the next election? Is that one of your, your big scalps you're looking for? Yes. Yeah, you've got completely confident. I don't know if we're going to do it yet, but that's our target. And, you know, I've been and campaigned with Monica Harding, who was our candidate last time, who's been reselected to fight Dominic Raab. And she's a really able, capable woman and determined in that seat. And, you know, I just look at the recent elections in Elmbridge. They were up in thirds, which means you can't win that many seats in that particular election. However, I went to be in the campaign and she thought, well, we might take one or two. We're looking at Walton North, Walton South. We won those seats. Much to her, her surprise, we won in Cobham and Downside, and then we also won in Hersham. You know, these were seats, uh, wards that you know, were in no, no one's radar. We took four seats. We got the uh, the biggest share of the popular vote uh, in, in the constituency it, just, just this May. So we are, again, making progress. Yeah, I'm, I think Dominic Rahm's worried. Yeah, so that, that's my neck of the woods. I'm from that Surrey way, and my mum uh, lives in a very sort of Tory area. And she said she got her first Lib Dem leaflet through the other day. And she's <laughs> never seen a single other leaflet in her entire time living there. So so clearly down in uh, Surrey, you're, you're already making your attempts. Yeah, and not just Nisha Walton. You know, we took control of Woking Council. No one saw that coming, but we did. I think it's the first time we've been in control of Woking since 1996. We made progress in Mole Valley, which we've been running. We didn't go backwards. We actually went forwards. You know, looking Guildford, you know, I think we're we're strong in Guildford. I've got a great candidate called Zoe and she's very frankly. And then, you know, if you look at uh, the Conservative MP, she's clearly worried. She's given mixed signals. She she's she said that if she'd been the subject of the Sue Gray report and that had been about her, she'd have resigned. But she hasn't put her letter in, apparently, to try to get the current incumbent out. So there's a bit of inconsistency there. So I think there are Conservative MPs who are getting worried about the Liberal Democrat threat in Surrey. Mm. What's interesting about this conversation is it's the word Labour has been conspicuous from its absence. We've not kind of discussed taking on Labour or Labour's involvement in some of these seats. Obviously, you talked about North Shropshire, you won there, but that was from third place. Again, the Labour finished second and, and Labour is second in, in Tiverton and Honiton. Labour said that they didn't really campaign that hard in North Shropshire. And we've heard from front benches saying that Labour are going to perhaps soft pedal in Tiverton and Honiton. Is that something... You know, that's been discussed between the two parties or is that something that you kind of welcome this idea perhaps of, of Labour soft peddling in some of those areas where you think that you're the most likely party to win? There's, there's no discussion. It's called about rational behaviour. So we do take on Labour in areas where we th- think we can beat them. So 
you know, he took whole council from them. And, you know, there was a huge fight between Labour and the Liberal Democrats there. We're taking seats off Labour in places like Sunderland. We have a big battle with Labour in, in Sheffield, you know, in some London boroughs. And I could take you around the country where things we talked about, where we're trying to replace Tory MPs, um, there's a different picture. Yeah. But what I will say is, you know, we tend to put our resources where we think we've got the best chance of winning. I mean, that's quite rational, isn't it? <laughs> if you're a business, that's what you go for, where you think your biggest market is. And if you're an individual, you go where you think, you know, you can make, you'd be more successful. It's, it's, it's just rational, right? And there are some areas where it's tougher for us to win and others where areas where if we you know, target our resources, we can make progress. It just so happens that if you look at our held seats, we've got 30 now with the two by-election, which is last year. If you look who's in second place, in nine of those 13, it's a Tory MP, so the Tories are trying to take that seat off of us, and four of them, it's the SNP. So we're going against the English Nationalist Party, also known as the Tory party, the Scottish Nationalist Party. And if you look at our next slug of seats we think we can win, in all but two, it's against Tories. It's against Labour in Sheffield Hallam. In Eastern Bartonshire, it's against the SNP. And there are one or two other seats in Scotland which, which, which might come into play against the SNP. But the rest of it's against the Conservatives. Mm. That's just arithmetic, electoral arithmetic, you know, it's just how it happens. And, and we're a rational party. I suppose the next logical bit of that would be, you know, looking at what would happen if you took seats off the Conservatives and if Labour took seats off the Conservatives, you know, would the the talk of a coalition come back? What were your kind of thoughts on the idea of a coalition? Obviously, you were a, a member of one between 2010 and 2015. You know, it seems unlikely that Labour would win enough seats to have a majority government. So what are your kind of thoughts on, on that? My thoughts as Liberal Democrat leader is to make sure we return as many Liberal Democrat MPs at the next election as possible. That's where I begin and, and end, to be honest. Because Do you have a number? No. Uh, you had 56 uh, last time? All I can say is my number has increased in recent, the last year or so, which I'm delighted to, to see. The, the key thing, I think, in politics, people want to know what you stand for, what you're about. And I want to make sure people really understand what the Liberal Democrats are about. We'll do that through great community politicians at local and national level, putting over our case. And um, I want people, wherever they are, particularly in the seats we think we can win, to make sure they know who we are and what we stand for and what we'll do. But just to press you on that briefly, you you know, you've, you've talked about wanting to get the Conservatives out of government. If there was a chance to do so by having an agreement with Labour, you're not going to say you wouldn't do so right there are many ways uh, after the next election and who knows what they are because i have no idea what the numbers are going to be like but by voting liberal democrat getting a liberal democrat mp you will have a set of priorities which will be their priority they will represent you in your constituency your family your community and they will focus on our priorities and whatever the opportunities are we will push make our voice heard on those issues you know, I was first elected 25 years ago. In that time, I've mostly been in opposition, some time in government. But my experience of both opposition and, and government is that you can get things done as an individual MP for your community. You can get things done as a group of MPs through your party, even if you're not in government. I come back to the story of this week. Who first proposed a windfall tax? It was the leader of the Liberal Democrats. And I can point to my colleagues, you know, Leila Moran has done some amazing work on housing, for example, for homeless people. And I can point over the years to stuff that Liberal Democrat MPs have done and the party has done 
which I'm really proud of. And we, we led the fight and won the fight. Sometimes you don't don't win. I mean, we were the leading party opposing the Iraq war. Yeah. Unfortunately, we, we lost an argument and Conservative and Labour parties supported the Iraq war, which has been a disaster. Uh, and we still live with the consequences of that bad decision by Labour and Conservative MPs. So you don't always win. But if you stand up for what you believe in, I think that's important for the political debate of our country. And boy, does our country need a strong liberal voice. But having been in government for five years, you know how important it is to actually have the levers of power at your disposal rather than to use a pejorative sort of carping from the side as opposition. You must know that that potential that could be to do that again would be would be one that surely, you know, your members and your other MPs would relish as well, right? Well, I don't think, and you talk to our local government people who are in government, they don't shirk from decisions to take power and, and take decisions to lead their community. And they do it really, really well. And I'm so delighted we've got more Liberal Democrats in government at the local level because they're able to show what Liberal Democrats can achieve. So I don't disagree. All I'm saying is you can exercise power and influence, in my experience, uh, in a whole series of ways in Parliament. If no party has an overall majority, you can exercise influence in many, many ways. And uh, if you look at other countries, they do that. The key thing for me is making sure that we have the numbers to be able to influence that so we can move away from this, frankly, indecent government that's got no moral authority, that's got no plan for our country, and replace it with a parliament where you know, maybe different parties put their ideas together and you know, we work for the national interest rather than from an interest which seems to be how do we keep Boris Johnson number 10, which I think is proving increasingly and obviously against the national interest. I mean, obviously, the Lib Dems had their, their five years in, in the coalition government in power, and you, you were part of that coalition. And there were some controversial policies around that time and before and since. I mean, what would your pitch be to Lib Dem voters who maybe been put off by, say, tuition fees and the change in policy there, who have thought that ruined my whole future, I wouldn't want to vote Lib Dem? What, what would your pitch be to them? And, and also things like Brexit, you were calling for a second referendum for a long time, and uh, now that position's changed. How, how do you pitch to people who might be concerned about those changes in position? Well, I mean, they will recall that there were 56, 57 Liberal Democrat MPs and 306 Conservative MPs. We were fighting 306 people day in, day out. And in government, I was fighting the Tories day in, day out. And sometimes we didn't win. And, you know, I accept that. But we fought the fight and we won a lot of things. I mean, let me give you one big example, which is relevant to today's debate, where, you know, we had the current Prime Minister writing the Daily Telegraph that wind farm, a wind turbine, couldn't take the skin off a rice pudding. And he and people like Osborne and George Osborne, the then Chancellor and others, tried to stop me and the Liberal Democrats investing in renewable power. Well, we won. And thanks to our policies, we had a massive expansion of renewable electricity. We became the world leader in offshore wind. And it's a blooming good job we, we did because green energy, thanks to Liberal Democrat policy, is cheaper now than fossil fuel or nuclear. Green energy, of course, is independent. We have to import it. It's our own sun and our own wind. And so I'm really proud that we, we achieved that. And it's not been covered by many people. I, I, I wouldn't say it's exclusive, but it's out there. <laughs> Do you realise that the contracts that we brought in to support renewable expansion have resulted in these wind farms now paying money back to the consumer because the way they work 
is that if the market price for electricity is above the contract price, they have to pay back to the consumer the difference between the market price if it's higher and the guarantee price. And this year, it's estimated by some people that the renewable power plants producing green, independent, clean energy for people is affordable because of the contracts that we brought in will pay back £1 billion. They're not making the super profits of oil and gas companies. The contracts for renewable power that we brought in, Liberal Democrats brought in, are proved so good that they have massively expanded the sector. They have reduced the price of renewable power to lower than dirty fossil fuel power. And they're even paying money back. Now, that is a story of Liberal Democrats' success, uh, changing our electricity industry, changing our economy, helping people with their energy bills and giving a lead on climate. I'm, I'm really proud of what we achieved. And, you know, too often that's not talked about. I want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, it, it tends to be that people remember things like tuition fees rather than necessarily th- that. The work that we did on mental health, the work we did on same-sex marriage, the work we did taking millions of low yeah. paid out of income tax. You're absolutely right. We did lots of great things. The pupil premium, something that I'm most proud of. I worked on it in opposition. The first person to write about it was a certain Nick Clegg. It was an idea borrowed from the Netherlands. And what does it do? gives more money to the most disadvantaged children. It was the biggest push for social mobility since the Second World War and was delivered by the Liberal Democrats. Oh, but aren't you that just, is what we're about. Aren't you just kind of like pushing the argument to be back in government, though, to be back in power, that, you know, these are things you can do if you are in a coalition, are you able to do so rather than as a, an opposition I, party? I'm pushing the idea that we've loads of great ideas. Right. And we're developing more and more of them. I'll give you one example. Um, maybe your listeners haven't heard about this. I've been talking about COVID catch-up vouchers. So some of the money that the government's COVID catch-up czar said, he said that there should be, I think, 14 billion spent on helping our children catch up after they lost education through COVID. The government spent less than a third of that. We say we should listen to these experts and some of that money should be given to parents in vouchers and they should be able to spend it at the school or spend it outside. One of the big aims is to help them give their kids more opportunities in things like music and sport and leisure activities, more rounded. And the reason I particularly feel strongly about that is, A, you involve the parents in the education of the child, and there's a big, big engagement between the parent and the school, empowering people, empowering parents and families. But also, I want to see an education system where we are looking after the mental health and well-being of our children. I think it's one of the biggest crises in education at the moment. You know, I go around schools and talking to head teachers and teachers. They're really alarmed at the mental health challenges that they're seeing. I was at Kingston Hospital recently. They, the hospital is saying in the, in, the, in the paediatric unit, they're getting lots of people coming in, young people with mental health problems, and they hadn't seen it at this intensity and number before. And it's not just because of COVID. It's not just because of social media. It's because of exam pressure. Because the way Michael Gove and the Conservatives and Gavin Williamson and all the rest of them, they've taken education, they've made it more far too narrow. And that, that pressure on, on our young people is meaning they're not really equipped for the, the workplace when they come out of it. They're equipped for Michael Gove to get a headline in the Daily Telegraph 
but I'm not interested in Michael Gove from the Daily Telegraph. Thank you very much. I'm interested in the well-being of our children, our young people, so they can succeed for themselves and their family, the community and our country. That means we need different policies like the pupil PMB we, we implemented and like this COVID catch-up voucher that, I, that I've championed. So, you know, we are buzzing with ideas and we just want to get heard and we want to let people know that we are we're on well, that happy side. To, happy to provide that. On we, the, on thank the, you very much. We, we've got their back and we're determined to win for them. Sadly, that's all we've got time for this week, but you can read more on all the biggest stories at politicsome.com and keep up to date by subscribing to our seven-day-a-week newsletters by clicking on the link at the top right corner of the website. Thanks so much to our fantastic guest, Ed Davey, and to my colleague, Anna Langford. Our editor this week has been Laura Silver. Thank you all for listening. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to keep up to date. If you've enjoyed it, then please leave us a review. If you want to get in touch, reach out to us on Twitter at Politics Home or email us via news at politicshome.com. But for now, have a great weekend and be sure to listen again next week. I've been Alan Tolhurst and this has been The Rundown.